Well, it is indeed an honor to be with you this evening. Uh, most of you know that uh, I stopped flying uh, in 2020. I, I, well, I, I flew once. Uh, I, I got a new truck and I had to fly out to get it, but it was not an enjoyable experience. Uh, before then, I was flying all over the world. In 2019, I flew 165,000 miles. I taught in Samara, Russia, and Kiev, Ukraine the same year. Can't do that anymore. <laughs> it's a little uh, nervous to do something like that anymore. Uh, but uh, in um, South Africa, I just managed to get out of Australia. I was, I, do, I was doing a debate with a Muslim, real enjoyable debate, in Melbourne in December of 2019. Whew, I was close uh, because it was only a matter of weeks later that uh, Australia shut down and people were stranded and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And so we made the decision starting in 2019 uh, to get me back out uh, on the road. And uh, so uh, anyone who has any questions about uh, how to RV, let me know afterwards. Uh, I'll be happy to give you some instruction in that area uh, because that's how I got here. Yes, I live in Phoenix. That means I've driven, I'm not sure how many thousands of miles it is here. Uh, but I will tell you one thing. I lived in Pennsylvania for six years in my youth. Uh, we left when I was 11. And I have lots of memories of the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Um, one was a very negative memory. It was a dark, rainy night. And my dad was driving, and I could tell he was very nervous. We were surrounded by semi-tractor trailers. It was raining like anything. And this is how long ago it was. The Baltimore Colts were on the radio, okay? And... Um, so I remember that was the turnpike. But the thing we enjoyed about the turnpike were the tunnels. My sister and I, we would we'd sort of switch back into the back seat and look out the back window and the lights going by, and that was a whole lot of fun. Let me tell you what's not fun. What's not fun is to have a full-size GMC 2500 HD 6.6 .6 liter turbo diesel truck with big old mirrors on it and a 35-foot-long fifth wheel attached to it on the back and they decide to put all the traffic through one tunnel. So you have one lane going one direction, and you've got one lane going the other direction, and the big old tractor trailers, which are just as wide as I am, are going the other direction. You have no room whatsoever for error. Three tunnels yesterday. I am still shaking. Um, so I am very thankful that I'm actually going from here to Atlanta to speak at the G3 conference, uh, because that means I do not have to go back on the turnpike. Um, and I'm going to find someone to call next time I come out this direction to go, have they finished the, 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 the stuff with the tunnels? And all of you are going, that's going to be like 10 years from now. What are you talking about? You're never coming back that direction. It's like, well, okay, I'm not really sure what else I could do about it. But be that as it may, it is, uh, it is good to be with you. I hope you all are planning uh, to be with us uh, tomorrow, uh, of course, uh, for the uh, debate that uh, was set up really only about two months ago. Um, that's not normally as much time as I like uh, for major, major debates, but I, I think I'm, I'm ready for tomorrow evening. I think it'll be... Uh, pray with me. My, my hope and desire for tomorrow night's encounter is that it will bring clarity, uh, that it will be respectful, uh, but it'll be non-compromising and that we will be able to get through the real problem here, and that is an entire realm of language has developed 
over the past uh, 15, 20 years that most of us just are not familiar with. I wrote, I co-authored a book with a CREC uh, pastor, Jeff Neal, dear, dear friend of mine. Um, we've known each other since the 1980s, and we wrote the book, The Same Sex Controversy, in, I think it came out in 2001, as I recall. And there was a tremendous amount of literature even then, but there has been so much more that has been written since then. Now you've got side A, and you've got side B, and you've got people who used to be side B that are now side A, and it, it, can, be, it can be very, very daunting. And Dr. Coles is a young man. Um, he is a good speaker. He is a storyteller. He is very much into narrative. And so I'm sure he will give a very uh, personal and interesting uh, presentation of why he feels that identifying as a gay Christian is an appropriate um, terminology. And uh, I hope that I will be able to give an equally uh, compelling argument on the other side, and then hopefully the interaction will be extremely useful in uh, coming to some conclusions on that particular subject. So I hope you'll be uh, praying for that. And then uh, also be praying for me next week. On Wednesday, there is a uh, pre-conference at G3 that Grace Bible Theological Seminary is putting on. I am uh, a professor there. And, uh, but uh, I have been asked to speak on government overreach. And uh, I'm not sure if any of you are aware of this, uh, but when the, uh, when the, the government m tried to muster out and succeeded in mustering out some of the most highly trained Navy SEALs, um, that refused the vaccine. Um, they reached out to my fellow pastor at Apologia, Jeff Durbin. Uh, being a former world champion in karate has its advantages as far as that is concerned. It's also great in church discipline topics too, but that's another issue. Um, and uh, so they reached out to Jeff and uh, Jeff secretly met with them and came back on a Friday, and he said, okay, here's what's going on. Here's what they need. They need by Monday to submit their papers, including a presentation on their religious request for an exemption. Um, and I told them that we would help them with that. And I'm like, Jeff, today's Friday. Um, who's going to write that? And this happens a lot at Apologia. You're getting some inside view here. But uh, so, Jeff, who's going to write that? Well, well, um, <laughs> so I had about 18 hours. And the uh, request that the, the SEALs submitted, I wrote. And so uh, the folks at the seminary knew that. And so they asked me to address that issue uh, and the fact that Apologia never, we never shut down. We did not uh, close down during, during the COVID uh, situation at all. So that's one thing for me to address that. But here's, here's why I need your prayers, especially from this group. Um, I am the only general equity post-millennial theonomist, post, general equity theonomist, post-millennialist. However you want to put all that together, I'm the only one on the staff at the seminary. And so there's going to be a little confab at the end and I think my name is pretty much the only name on the menu uh, in that particular encounter there at the end. I'm, I'm in, the, in the small minority, so uh, you can pray that it will be a respectful um, 
uh, attempt at burning me at the stake, but that it won't actually happen. So uh, that'll, be, uh, that'll be next week as well. And I also am speaking on the sovereignty of God from the book of Isaiah. So there's that little thing to do as well in the process. So that's what we're doing on, the, on this trip. Thank you very much for having me. The topic that I was given is fascinating. Um, when, you, when you look at how it's, I'm not sure if it's, is it even printed on the, uh, on the thing? Because the topic that I was given was from keyboard, it is on it, from keyboard to Colosseum, report from the front lines. Hmm, okay. Now, what's interesting is what I remembered was from the Colosseum to the keyboard. Now, when you think about it, those are two completely different things. And as a person who teaches church history, but also as one who does so as an apologist, the first one, if it was from Colosseum to keyboard, then I'd be thinking about how the church gave a defense of the faith and engaged in spiritual warfare with the world that led to the Colosseum in the, in the early years and now is being pursued in so many contexts worldwide at the keyboard today and how everything has changed in between. That's a completely different topic than from keyboard to Colosseum because that's basically now saying by your expression of your beliefs, you could bring, be bringing yourself to the position that the Christians found themselves in when they found themselves in the Colosseum and suffering for their faith. Completely different direction that you would, be, you would be going in that context. But they both say, report from the front lines, which would evidently indicate that um, Alpha and Mega Ministries, of which I am the director, was founded uh, 40 years ago uh, in a matter of weeks. In fact, we have our big 40th celebration. We've never done a celebration before, but someone decided that I'm getting old enough that we better have one now because we can't be guaranteed a 50th uh, celebration. Uh, but 40, 40 years for an apologetics ministry is really weird. Uh, there aren't very many apologetics ministries that have been around for 40 years. And I can guarantee you that when we started, if, see, God's wise. He doesn't tell us, <laughs> he doesn't let us know what our own personal future is going to look like. And if someone had told those 20-something-year-old, barely 20-something-year-old, four people, me and my wife and Mike and Linda Beliveau, when we founded that ministry, if they, if they had told us that I would be standing in uh, the largest mosque in South Africa, uh, defending the deity of Christ with Muslims, see, we're all a bunch of wimps. You're sitting on chairs. The Muslims sit on the ground. Uh, they don't bother with chairs uh, be, because that's what they're just accustomed to doing. And they'd be even closer. They were closer than the front row was to me in that, uh, in that mosque. And there I am uh, presenting the deity of Christ and defending the deity of Christ. And if I had been told that, or if I had been told of the upcoming debates um, on the subject of homosexuality, also down in South Africa, because I can't find too many people in the United States to do it. I'm glad we've got the one coming up tomorrow. But uh, it would have been very daunting but the Lord gives grace when you need the grace, not before you need the grace. And so uh, 40 years now gives me the perspective to say a couple things here at the start. 
And a lot of this is self-confession. Uh, my generation, and I see a few of you out there with sufficient white either on the roof or on the shingles, um, sort of slides off the top. And, uh, you know, I, I, and I deserve this because I mocked my dad when he started losing his hair. I really did. You know, he would say, well, son, grass doesn't grow on a busy street. And my response would be, nor through concrete. Um, <laughs> he got the better of me. Uh, he, he had hair today, he died. And um, I gave up on that a long time ago. Um, but those of you from, from our generation, from my generation back in, in the day, we enjoyed the experience of the myth of neutrality. What I mean by that is there really was no thought on our part that the government would ever have any concern about what we were saying. We would be allowed to say what we wanted to say, do what we wanted to do. This is the United States. We have the Constitution. We have freedom of religion, free speech. Um, we're going to be fine. And hence, we did not give almost any thought whatsoever to the very issues that we now must consider each and every day and are being presented to us each and every day as we see individuals in Europe on trial for quoting the Bible. Uh, we see people here in the United States clearly desirous of seeing limitations put upon how we worship, when we can worship, what we say, what we believe, hate speech laws coming into existence all around us. We have entire states that just passed laws saying that judges should take into consideration whether a parent affirms the gender identity of their minor child in making custody decisions. In other words, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be having children in that state. We never dreamed that this kind of thing could come. And mainly the reason we didn't, it's not that there weren't people that were warning us. I read Francis Schaeffer. I watched the great evangelical disaster. I'm not sure why I didn't hear what he was saying very well, but I wasn't the only one. And so my generation we were happy to have our debates on other issues, and, and uh, certainly we did a lot of outreach uh, to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and things like that, and all of that's fine and dandy. But things have changed. And all of a sudden, we are having to think through very uncomfortable topics. And it's causing division. It's causing a tremendous amount of division, because there's a lot of people that don't even want to talk about these things still. So, for example, I remember when, when I first started dealing with the subject of homosexuality, late 1990s, uh, again, my friend Jeff Neal, he had just done a series at his church on the subject, and I remember going, why would you do that? Because the way I was raised, independent fundamentalist Baptist, um, you wouldn't get into a pool with a female, but you're not going to talk about sexuality at church. So I'm not sure how you were supposed to figure all that stuff out. I guess it was just communicated by osmosis. But we would never talk about the kind of stuff that we're going to be talking about in the debate tomorrow in a church setting. You just don't do that. That's not proper. Which basically meant that we had no developed 
doctrine of human sexuality or marriage at all. It was just simply, well, this is what we've always believed, and just believe it, and that's the end of that. And once you have to start taking these things outside the walls of the church and dealing with what's going on in the world around us, that kind of thinking just isn't enough. And so I, you know, I'm not blaming the, the, the generation before me. My grandparents would be stunned at what we are having to deal with today. Absolutely stunned, uh, just as I am, for that matter. But the fact is, we are on, we're trying to catch up. And that means we're going to stumble, and we're going to make mistakes. And I'm seeing so much of what's going on today. I'm, I'm seeing young men who want to do the right thing. They want to glorify Christ. And we're talking about warfare. And oh, wow, you know, I mean... You just you get your Maximus sword out, and uh, you know you start quoting, uh, "I am Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of Felix Legions, husband of murder." By, oh, I know the whole thing. Don't 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 make me don't make me do the whole thing. It was a great movie, uh, even though if you've seen Russell Crowe, <laughs> see Maximus didn't just die. He he actually recovered after they took him out of the Colosseum, and he gained 180 pounds. But anyway, <laughs> some of you don't know, huh? They're actually doing a, a second uh, Gladiator movie, but he ain't going to be involved in it because, um, yeah, well, anyway. So we get all excited, and we want the warfare and all the rest of that stuff, but you know those Navy SEALs I was talking about? They don't send any of them out until they are very thoroughly trained. Years of training and discipline and study. Those are smart guys. They know a lot. And so I see these young men, and they, they want to be zealous, and, but at the same time, they need the wisdom and maturity that comes with years. But they're looking at us older folks and said, yeah, but what were you guys doing all this time? You were taking it easy. You were nice and comfortable. And so I am concerned about a couple major things. I'm going to get to the text here. If you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we, we, will look, we will be looking at the text. I, I want to do that. But there are a couple things I want to make sure, because we're going to be talking about warfare, and there's a great deal of information in the New Testament about warfare. It is a common analogy for our struggle in this life and our calling as followers of Christ. And so we're going to be talking about all that. But there's a couple things I, don't want, I want to really emphasize. First of all, could we recognize that we are in a time that no generation before us has faced? Now, I know there's nothing new under the sun, but no generation before us has ever faced full-on, unadulterated secularism combined with the current level of scientific knowledge, medical knowledge, and technology that we are facing today. Nobody else has had to deal with the ability to murder the unborn in the womb. No one has had to deal with the ability to literally change the genetic code of the human being. Even when the persecuted church in the Soviet Union would go and hide in the woods to sing praises to God, we couldn't get away with that anymore because they have drones and satellites. There's no place to hide. We are all under constant supervision, not supervision, but observation. 
And in fact, I would not be shocked at all that the fact that all of us are in this one room and so's this means not only that, I, I mean, I am hoping that there is an FBI agent or some type of person listening through my phone. Repent and believe, okay? So <laughs> I'd like to see it, you know, let the revival begin. Um, that would be great and wonderful. But the fact of the matter is there's a computer someplace that knows that there's a bunch of those radical Christians in that room, in that building. And that's not so, that's, that should not be a shock to you. That's not difficult technology. So we've never faced a situation like this before. With this level of control being possible. And so there are certain people who are saying, you know, we need to think about this and maybe we could do this or maybe this is the way that we should, we should approach this. And then there are others going, we shouldn't even be talking about these things. And then there are others that would say, if you even suggest this type of thing, I'm going to disfellowship you and I'm going to separate from you. And it just seems like, in, in, I'll, I'll be honest, what I've been thinking is, and I've always thought this way, a sound church that's unified and focused on the truth is a blessing on any nation. It's a blessing on any nation. This nation, figuratively and in reality, if we were meeting in June, this would be really easy to illustrate, but this nation is little more, I mean, when, when the White House was put in rainbow colors in June, that was like a huge extended middle finger aimed at the sky. We hate you. We hate your ways. We hate your law. We are going to mutilate our children. We are going to pollute our children. And we are going to fire you and do everything we can to make your life a ruin if you dare try to say we're wrong to do this. And a nation... I wish I could stand up here and say, oh, do you, don't you see the evidence of revival and renewal all around us? I'd like to be able to say that. And I am encouraged by things that I do see in churches, but as to the culture as a whole, the next generation, the young generation, is very much dedicated to its own destruction. That's the direction they're going. When you have abortion rates the way that they are, when you, have, when you have the large portion of young people, they have absolutely no interest in marriage and children and becoming grandchildren and all the beautiful things that means because they've been told that that's, that's not best for them. That's not really what's going to make them happy. I'm so glad to see all the children around here. Uh, and I, I can guarantee you one thing. I don't know how my parents um, communicated to me that once you have your boy and your girl, you're done. But I wish they hadn't. I wish I had had more children. But it just wasn't an issue in our, in, in our day at that particular point in time. And so can we extend grace to one another and disagree about a few things right now? Can we... Can we, can we listen and go, yeah, I'm not so sure about that, without then going, and that guy's a heretic, and I'm going to go on Facebook and make sure everybody knows he's a heretic. 
it just seems like there is such a lack of graciousness amongst Christians right now. We need to extend that to one another. And secondly, let me say something. If we're going to be talking about warfare, if we're going to be talking about battle, we're going to be talking about putting on the full armor of God, no soldier of Christ will ever advance the banner of his kingdom who is not first and foremost concerned about their own holiness before God. I have seen too many times in my life young, gifted men and women who didn't keep that in mind and who made shipwreck of the faith as a result and brought disrespect to the name of Christ. It is a sad thing, but every one of you my age in here has been in ministry as long as I have. You have a list of people in your mind. You don't like to dwell on it, but there is a list in your mind of the people who used to partake the supper with you in your church that do not name the name of Christ today. Some of them just disappeared. Others made a real stink when they exited and brought a great deal of shame on the name of Christ. And it is far too easy to use as a cover your zeal. I'm zealous in defending the faith. I'm zealous in proclaiming the truth. But if you're not making application in your own life, you are not advancing the kingdom of Christ. One of the things that has been so encouraging to me is to come to realize that when you do the regular small acts of obedience, when our small churches get together, and we sing the doxology. I remember during, during COVID, remember those few months where they started going, and you're not allowed to sing either. Remember that? We would get together, and when we got to the end of the service, um, for the last song, a lot of people come forward toward the front of, of the, wherever, we rent our buildings, so um, toward the front of the, the worship uh, service worship center and we sing together and then we raise our hand and we sing the doxology together and i remember that one sunday where there had been a lot of news about no more singing especially in california we just aimed ourselves at california <laughs> and we rattled the shingles of that building singing the doxology and it was thrilling to come to realize that when we gather and when we are obedient and when we desire to hear Christ's word and to live it out we are swinging the battle axe at the very gates of hell the world doesn't see it that way 
And we dare not adopt the world's idea of what warfare looks like. Much of our warfare will take place on our knees. Much of our warfare will take place changing diapers and being faithful in those small things. That's how the kingdom is advanced. And I am concerned, like I said, for especially young men, that, that that's not enough for me. Let me tell you something, young men, and a lot of you in this room already know it. When you are the godly example and the one bringing discipline and guidance to your fifth and your sixth child, and you show patience toward your wife and love toward your wife in the midst of all your hard work and your exhaustion, that is some of the greatest warfare against the kingdom of darkness that can ever be waged. Don't get the world's definition of warfare mixed up with a biblical definition of warfare. So let me remind you of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians you know it well, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds, as we tear down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is fulfilled. Now, I don't want to be one of those people that just grabs a text and runs with it because the immediate context here is Paul dealing with his enemies in Corinth. He's defending his authority. And this is within the church. And so what he is talking about is this warfare that he's having to get, engage in is against false teachers, the so-called super apostles in Corinth. So sadly... Sadly, I wish it weren't the, the case, but very often the most exhausting battle for a person in ministry is within the walls of the church. And I'm looking at a number of men, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There is nothing that can sap the strength of a minister of the gospel faster than internal division within the church. Nothing. In fact, you're looking at a man that never wanted to go into ministry. I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy. At the age of 10, you have to be pretty observant to make this vow at the age of 10. At the age of 10, I vowed that I would never go into the ministry. You know why? Because of all the knife holes in my dad's back put there by people in the church by deacons he had led to the Lord that then fired him. Remember, we were independent fundamentalist Baptists, so pastors are hired and fired by deacons. It's not a biblical way of doing things. But I had seen what ministry looked like, and at age 10, I said, mm-mm, not for me. And it was around age 17 that the Lord smacked me upside the head with a two-by-four, and I told my dad, well, it's not what I wanted, but I know this is where I need to go. And he just sort of smiled like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I know, I've seen, and as I am still in ministry, a pastor in a medium-sized church, I mean, we have about 500 members. I guess that's medium, large, somewhere around. I don't know. 
But I see what happens when you have internal division. When people you've sown yourself into walk away from the faith. It's heartbreaking. And that's where a lot of the battle is going to take place. It's where a lot of the battle is going to take place. And that's what the apostle was dealing with here. He's dealing with those people in Corinth. And man, that was a messed up church in Corinth. Do you know what one of the first, one of the earliest writings outside the New Testament that we possess is? It's called First Clement. We don't really know who wrote it. But it was written from the church at Rome to the church at Corinth, probably in the first century. And guess what? Corinth was still a mess. <laughs> Even after three epistles, because we know there was a third epistle in here. That we, we know there are actually three epistles. We don't have one of them. Uh, that, that would have been a barn burner if we did. Um, even after apostolic epistles, Rome has to write to the church at Corinth because you know what they had done? They had kicked out all their elders. There was still a spirit of rebellion in that church. And it really makes you wonder sometimes, why would God call anybody (laughs) to have to serve in that context? But He did, didn't He? He did. And so... There is a warfare that can take place within the church. But notice it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We're here in this world, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. Now those were strongholds of false belief and error within the church. Can we accurately say that that means that what has been given to us through the Word and the Spirit is, likely, is likewise divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds and speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God? And are we to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Well, the first context is that has to be the reality in the church. That has to be the reality in the church. And one of the greatest things we're struggling against today is that so many in the church were won to their profession of faith by appealing to their great worth to God. Oh, God really needs you. And He'll be so happy if you'll accept His offer. Instead of a call of repentance, instead of a, of a clear message of a triune sovereign God who has provided a way of peace with Himself, a glorious way of peace, and that it is our privilege to serve and honor Him, we've got the, oh, God is so happy to have you message. And it's really hard to get people who were one with that kind of message to grow up enough to realize what the New Testament actually teaches. And that it's not about us, it's all about Him. If you, like me, um, I've got to make sure to look at this every once in a while. Because I, I was really good at time when I was at Phoenix Reformed Baptist Church, then I went to Apologia, and now I'm not really good at time at all. Um, Jeff Durbin ruined me, but... <laughs> when you... When you consider what Paul is saying here, 
taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You have to have the highest view of Christ for that to make any sense. The American mind is like, well, my, my mind is... That's, haven't you ever seen the Constitution? But when you realize what our message really is, what we've been called to, we have been called to serve the incarnate one. We have a message that the world considers to be absolute foolishness. It is idiocy to anyone trained in the universities of the Western world to believe that the God who created this vast universe actually entered into his own creation 2,000 years ago, lived in the backwaters of the Roman Empire, and was crucified by Rome, and then rose from the grave and sent 12 bands of barely literate men, 12 barely literate men out to evangelize the world. And that's God's great plan. And the brilliant people of the world go, you've got to be kidding me course, Paul told us exactly what they'd think. It's foolishness. It's foolishness to them. And today, my goodness, we now know, you know, it's only been a hundred years since we figured out that those puffy little tiny things we saw through telescopes, even back in the 1800s, we didn't know what they were. What were those, those little cotton balls in the sky? And as late as the 1920s, we were still debating it. You know what they were? They were galaxies the same size as ours. And we now know there's about 120 billion stars in our galaxy, in the Milky Way galaxy. 120 billion. Do you know how many galaxies we now estimate there are? About 120 billion. Your mind cannot even start to grasp the vastness of that. And we are literally telling people that all of that was controlled and designed and is meant to reflect the glory of a crucified Jewish carpenter. Really? Really? And yet here we sit from different backgrounds, different places, 2,000 years later on the other side of the planet and pretty much everybody in this room goes, yup, that's pretty hard to explain unless you have an empty tomb in Jerusalem, unless you have a light that shines out of that empty tomb and enlightens the darkness when the gospel message is preached and the Spirit moves, there you have divinely powerful working for the tearing down of strongholds, tearing down speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Unless you have the highest doctrine of Christ, you will never even want to engage in the warfare we're called to engage in. And that's why the mainstream denominations have no idea what in the world we're doing. Who are those crazy people? Don't they know Jesus was just one amongst many religious teachers? No, he wasn't. 
No, he wasn't. And it is proper to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because it was by him that all things were made, whether in heaven and earth, visible, invisible, principalities, powers, dominions, authorities, all things created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things soon as they can. They hold together. When the most brilliant scientist looks into his electron microscope at the very building blocks of the universe, he's actually seeing the power and the wisdom and the continuous action of my Savior. And he will find true fulfillment in his science and his study when he realizes who he is and who Christ is. And while the greatest failures of secularism, and it will always be a fa- secularism is itself designed to fail. It has to. This is God's world. It can't work in God's world. But while the greatest failures of the modern world of philosophy is that man has been placed in the center and you now have to judge all of history and you have to judge all of science and you have to judge all of mathematics and philosophy and you aren't big enough. But you see, the Christian understands, I'm not in the center. The triune creator is in the center. And as I relate to him, then I can have true knowledge of all these other things because he is the one who made and defined all of these other things. And therefore, I can have peace. I can have fulfillment. That's not what's being taught in any college classroom or university classroom this evening in the state of Pennsylvania or anywhere else in the, in, in the Western world, sadly. But that's the message we have. And that's a message that indeed does bring about obedience. Obedience of Christ. That's what we pray for. That's what we long for. But here again... Let me, let me start wrapping up with this. We can talk about that until we're blue in the faith. You can stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning correcting everybody on Facebook. <laughs> I'm so old that there was no Facebook. There was no Internet. Al Gore had not invented it yet. <laughs> but... Starting in the 1980s, let's see how, let's, let's, let me find my old, my old friends in here. There was something called Fidonet. Fidonet, BBS, bulletin board system. Any, we've got two of them. Anybody else? Got one back there? Okay. We are the, we are the geeks. We are the old geeks of the room. It was a system that where you could, you could write someone a message and it would be packed up at night and sent out in a, in a mail packet, and it would, go, it would bounce around computers, and they'd get it maybe the next day, maybe the day after, and then they'd respond. You might get a response four or five days after you wrote something. But there was an active conversation. We had the open Bible echo. There was the Mormon echo. I was witnessing the Mormons there for ages. And I was young enough that sometimes I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning because there's somebody on Fidonet that's wrong And the phone line, yeah, exactly right. 
So it's one thing to have that zealous desire. You see error. You want to correct error. You want to speak truth. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that unless it steals your peace. As a believer, it should never steal your peace. Because, hey, there is a time when you were wrong too. And God, in His mercy, in His time, moved in your life too. So you don't have to be telling God that you're the only one that can correct the whole world on Facebook. But here's the point. You can be zealous in doing all of that stuff, but your words will be empty when you call the world to obedience to Christ, but you yourself are not in obedience to Christ. And you and I know exactly what I'm talking about. We all know how to put on airs. We know how to put on our Sunday face. And we know how to use our church language. We know how to look others in the eye and use our sanctified vocabulary. And meanwhile, our prayers are cold and our hearts are hard. And we're we're enjoying that secret sin. So it's one thing to talk to the world. And we need to talk to the world. And this is, this is one of the things that's changed. All of us have all of a sudden realized, you know what? The church has a prophetic role. We need to say to the magistrates, we need to say to the governments, this is what Christ says you must do for His blessing. And if you do not, there's this psalm that says something about kiss the sun lest, um, lest your, your economy not do well. No. Something about wrath. Because the sun rules. And so we, have, we need to be doing that. But our words will not carry weight if they are not joined with a sincere commitment on our part. I am going to be obedient to Christ. Whatever that means, whatever that means, in my family, in my relationship to my wife, my children, for me, my grandchildren, my neighbors, the people in my church. And then when I speak to the magistrate about obedience to Christ, I can do so with a clear conscience and trust the Spirit of God will bless my words. Zeal, we need it. Young men, we need you. We need you to be ready just as a soldier to sacrifice yourself. You have that energy. You have that calling. But first and foremost, you have been called. Be holy as I am holy. Let us not lose that balance. Let us pray that God would strengthen us in our faith, in our holiness, in our sanctification. And having done so, give us that opportunity to speak with clarity 
to the world around us. That is the most effective way of swinging that battle axe against the gates of hell because everybody in this room already knows when Jesus promised the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Yeah, I tell you, I remember when I first realized that, that the way that had been interpreted my entire life was utter foolishness. Gates are not offensive weapons. I don't know how I had ever had the idea that here is the church and here come the gates of hell. <laughs> What are they doing? Carrying them? <laughs> Use it as a battering ram? I, I, it just didn't make any sense. It's the church that's battering down the gates of hell, not the other way around. But if you don't want to be sitting there poking at the gates of hell with a feather, then there needs to be a consistency in our lives and in obedience to Christ. Because then He promises to us, divinely powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. One last thing. That may not happen tomorrow. That may not happen tomorrow. Patience is a Christian virtue. Trusting in the providence of God in His sovereignty, in His purpose, being obedient to what He calls us to do, knowing that in His sovereignty, He will bring it all to His glory. We want to see a particular end. My church is the home church of End Abortion Now. And right now, my fellow elders, uh, Jeff and, and Luke, are in Frankfurt, Germany, trying to lay the foundation to begin an abortion ministry in Germany where there isn't one. They're at a church that I used to visit every year. Love them. I still teach them church history via Zoom. I, I miss the chance of going over there. And my German is not nearly as good as it used to be because I'm not getting to go over there and do that. But that's where, that's where they are. We want to see that ended. But you know what we're doing right now? We're introducing bills in legislature after legislature after legislature, and we know the first time that's introduced, it's not even going to get a hearing. But have you noticed how the left does it? They don't stop. They do it again the next year, and the next year, and the next year, and then you get the insanity down the road. So we've learned perseverance, man. Keep pushing. We've got the truth on our side. Keep pushing. Well, if the Lord doesn't bless, you keep doing what He calls you to do. You be obedient. And you may not see it in your life. Ever read Hebrews 11? You may not see it in your life. But you can have confidence that you can serve your whole life, you can give your whole life and not see the object of your desire fulfilled and know that you still lived your life to the glory of God. Are we willing to do that? There's only one way that a diverse group like this could be made to be willing to do that. And it's the one thing that binds us all together. Well, there's two things. There's two things that bind us all together. First, first, 
the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's the only reason that we all have peace with God. Secondly, we're all indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. And the only way that we can, as a group, commit ourselves to that kind of long-term faithfulness is by the work of the Spirit of God in our hearts. Join me in praying that the Lord would do that for us during this time. Our gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we come before the throne of grace and we are thankful that you call it the throne of grace. It's not the throne of wrath, it's not the throne of justice, but because we are in Christ Jesus, it is the throne of grace. And so we come before you now, Father, and we ask. We ask your blessings upon this weekend. We ask your blessings upon all the speakers and the presentations, upon all those who are here. We ask you to bless our time together, to give us safe travel to and from. Bless our fellowship together. But Father, more than that, our true desire for each one of us, for us as individuals, as families, for those of us who are in leadership, our churches, our people, we can do nothing without you. We can do nothing without your Spirit. So meet with us this, this weekend, yes, we pray. But more so, Father, change our hearts. Strengthen us. Give us a true desire to do whatever you call us to do. Help us to desire your will so strongly that our will will be shaped to yours. Give us a desire for holiness. I pray for the husbands and wives in this group that you would draw them together. For the parents, that you would help them to see the treasure those children are, even in the midst of the chaos at times. Father, that you would bless these families. You would protect these children from this world that wants to destroy them. May we put ourselves between them and this world, whatever the cost may be. Father, use us to build the kingdom of Christ. We thank you for calling us to this time. Give us the wisdom to understand what this time truly means. We love you, Father. Everything we have comes from your hand. We thank you for all you've done. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. And now, as we depart this place, give us rest for tomorrow. We do pray for not only the presentations, but for the debate tomorrow afternoon. Lord, I pray for clarity of thought, health, that you would bless so that the resultant debate would be a blessing to your church and provide light and hope to those who are confused by the messages that are being proclaimed today. We thank you that you've given us this opportunity. 
We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the gospel. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.